Well, grace and peace to you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are so glad that you're here with us this morning. We are glad to those who are joining us online. Uh, we're, we're thankful to, to Derek, who, who led singing, and all those who served today. Someone was mentioning to me um, before we began worship how blessed we are to have uh, so many song leaders, so many people who, who lead at this congregation, and we're, we're grateful for that. We are in a series of lessons on the spirituals, and I, I hope this, these lessons have blessed you. I know they've blessed me, and, and one of the things that I've discovered as we, as we look at these songs from the past is they all tell a story. It's more than just a song. There is a history here. And so we're going to begin this morning with a reading from the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 8, 18 through 22, and you might guess from this reading, which spiritual we're going to be looking at. The prophet says, My joy is gone. Grief is upon me. My heart is sick within me. Behold the cry of the daughter of my people from the length and breadth of the land. Is the Lord not in Zion? Is her king not in her? Why have they provoked me to anger with their carved images and with their foreign idols? The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. For the wound of the daughter of my people is my heart wounded. I mourn, and dismay has taken hold on me. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then has the health of the daughter of my people not been restored? We as Christians speak a different language. We use strange words, words like baptism and repentance and righteousness and many others. This language that we speak is the language of the Bible. We grow up with these words. We, we hear them used in Sunday school. They are in the songs that we sing and the prayers that we pray. We use phrases that no one else would understand. Who knows what it means to raise an Ebenezer? And this is true of the song that, that we're looking at today. It has coded language. It is a song for those in the know, those who have spent time with Holy Scripture. And so the song opens with this statement, there is a bomb in Gilead. Now, we may not recall the chapter and verse where this is found, but we know its meaning. It's a, a, a reference to healing, and not just any healing, but the healing of the soul. The most well-known place where this phrase is found, is found in several places, but the most well-known place is what we just read, Jeremiah chapter 8. And in this passage, Jeremiah is lamenting over the people of God because they are not living as they should. They're not following the ways of God, and so Jeremiah, he mourns. He is the weeping prophet. He has been called to speak to these people and to tell them what they need to hear, but as often is the case, they have ears, but they do not hear. And finally, he just asks this question, is there no bomb in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then has the health of the daughter of my people not been restored? 
Jeremiah was a prophet, and the, the role of the prophet uh, is, is, is a difficult one. Prophets were not liked. They were persecuted. They were even killed. And they spent a lot of time alone, and that wasn't by choice. They, their job required them to go out and to tell people to repent. They, they were called to, to speak truth to their people. You know, it would not have been so bad if you're called to speak truth to other people. Maybe people you didn't like or, or, or people who you didn't live among. We don't mind telling people we have no relationship with what they need to hear and what they need to do. But a prophet was often speaking to his own people, to his fellow citizens, to his friends, to his family. This was not easy. It was difficult work. It was emotionally exhausting. It was lonely. It was physically taxing and dangerous. And we see that Jeremiah weeps. He mourns. And not just for himself. He weeps for his people who have chosen the wrong path and continue to choose the wrong path. They have no intention of changing their course. And as he's mourning and as he's weeping, he asks, Is there no balm in Gilead? The writer of the spiritual we're looking at this morning and, and the slaves who sung it, they, they knew the story of Jeremiah well. It's a story that they could relate to. Jeremiah was someone who suffered even though he was in the right. One of the tests of true character is doing what is right even when it means that you're going to face negative consequences. It's doing what is right even when the odds are against you. Jeremiah and the writers of the spirituals do exactly this. They, they choose what is good. They choose what is right in the face of many who are committed to doing wrong. And that is not an easy path to take. Those who sung this song for many years had a tragic life. They were treated as property. They were viewed as less than human. They were sold. Families were torn apart. Women were, were raped and sexually abused. They were beaten. They were forced to work, often to the point of death. And so a great evil was committed against these people. And yet, and yet they continued to sing. They responded to this evil by answering the question that Jeremiah asked. Is there no bomb in Gilead? And their reply is found in the words of this song. There is a bomb in Gilead to make the wounded whole. There is a bomb in Gilead to heal the sin-sick soul. Sometimes I feel discouraged. And think my works in vain. But then the Holy Spirit revives my soul again. Don't ever feel discouraged. For Jesus is your friend. And if you look for knowledge, he'll ne'er refuse to lend. If you cannot preach like Peter, if you cannot pray like Paul, you can tell the love of Jesus and say, he died for all. There is 
a bomb in Gilead to make the wounded whole. There is a bomb in Gilead to heal the sin-sick soul. And so the answer that the writer of this spiritual gives and the slaves affirm is yes. Yes, prophet. Yes, Jeremiah. There is a bomb in Gilead. It is Jesus. He is our bomb. He is able to heal our infirmities and to make us whole. Of course, the slaves understood that there are worse infirmities than physical abuse. As awful as persecution may be, and it can be awful, it can be terrible, it can be horrendous, it can be endured. But to despair or to lose hope is even worse. And the slaves understood that even in life's darkest moments, we still have Jesus. And that he is a light in the darkness and he is our bomb in Gilead. Life is not easy. And this is not God's fault. It is the fault of human beings. We live in a broken world and sin makes life harder, whether it be our own sin or whether we're suffering the consequences of someone else's sin that they committed long ago. Life is not as it should be. And we regularly encounter things that just are not right. We face death. We face sickness and disease. We face depression and injustice and evil and all these things that are wrong. All the things that you know about, you hear on the news. Well, another test of true character is what a person does in the face of all that is wrong. What do you do when bad things happen? How do you respond? What do you do when things do not go your way? Do you despair? Do you give up? Do you run away and just isolate yourself from all the people and situations that are difficult? Well, that's not the way of God. You can think about Job who experienced life at its worst. He had everything taken from him, everything. And he is praised in Scripture for one thing. He did not give up. He kept going. He persevered. He continued to pursue God when everything around him was wrong and hard and difficult. And Job's not the only person who does this. You can think about the, the, the life of the Apostle Paul and what's his life like after he begins to follow Jesus. Well, according to human standards, if we're looking at it from a human point of view, his life gets harder. He's beaten. He's persecuted. He spends time in prison, but he never gives up. He never loses hope. He says things like this to the church in Philippi. He says, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. What's he talking about there? He says, even if I die, Paul is rejoicing in the face of death. How can this be? Well, it's because of how... He lived his life and 
whom he put his trust in. There are more important things than all the stuff that we typically worry about. And our focus should be on Christ, and that's where Paul's focus is. He, he further explains this in 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 10. He says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing powers belong to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. And this, this is, ties right into the spiritual we looked at last week. A healthy understanding of the cross helps us to live as we should live. It puts things in its proper perspective. We die to self and we live for Christ. And seeing things through the lens of the cross means we do not make temporal things into ultimate things. We do not put our hope in things that are not eternal. And this type of living, it perplexes the world. They do not understand how a prisoner could have joy and could sing. They do not get how a persecuted people can be filled with hope. Well, this very thing also happened in Peter's day. He, he wrote to a congregation that was being persecuted. If you read through 1 Peter, this is obvious. They were being mistreated. Um, what they were enduring was not right. They were suffering from injustice. And yet they had hope. They, they were not known as this people who were just always complaining and grumbling about things. They were not known as a pessimistic people who had a negative outlook on life. They were known as a hopeful people, even though their circumstances were far from ideal. And Peter knew this, and so he, he wrote to them, and he gave them these instructions. He says, you always be ready to make your defense or to give an answer to, to, to anyone who demands from you an accounting for the hope that is in you. People are going to ask you about this because it's strange. Life has not been easy the last several years. We've endured a pandemic and people have lost loved ones. We are more polarized as a nation than we have been in a long, long time. Relationships have come to an end. We are tired and we are exhausted. The media peddles hatred and fear. They want us to always be afraid. They want us to fear the economy and fear climate change and fear foreigners and fear disease and fear the next disaster and whatever else. They want us to hate. We are to dislike anyone who doesn't think like us. We are to cancel people who disagree with us. And all of this is anti-Christian. The Bible says we're not to be afraid. We read that this morning in the Gospel of Luke. One of the first things that Jesus tells Peter, do not be afraid. Scripture tells us to love our enemies and to love our neighbors. Sometimes they're the same people. 
We live in a world that is constantly trying to get us to behave in ways that are contrary to the ways of God. And it's frustrating. We also live in a world that is constantly changing. And it's changing whether we want it to or not. And we cannot slow it down. We cannot stop it. And this results in anxiety. We don't like change. We don't like for this to happen. We feel like the world is being turned upside down. And we feel that we're living in a world that we no longer recognize. And we've got all this going on. All this happening. What are we to do? How are we to live? What's what's the next step? Well, what we have experienced over the last few years is unique, but it's not that unique. We, as the people of God, should be least surprised. And I say this because we find story after story in the Bible of followers of God who experience the same things. We find people like Jeremiah who is asked to live right when everything is wrong. We find people like Daniel who must live faithfully in a pagan culture. We find people like Paul who are persecuted and imprisoned just for preaching the gospel. And there are many others. These stories are common. And so we should expect the unexpected. And it's not just in the Bible that we find these stories. We find them throughout history. We find them from the people who who, who read the stories in the Bible and who, who made a choice to follow Jesus. Polycarp feeds the soldiers who come to lead him to his death. Dietrich Bonhoeffer returns to Germany to preach the gospel, even though it means he's probably going to die. And slaves sing bomb and Gilead as they are being mistreated and abused. And these are incredible stories. They don't make sense unless unless you believe in a man from Galilee who died on a cross and was raised three days later. Because if you put your faith in that man, then these stories, they make perfect sense. You cannot be a Christian and be a pessimist. Hear me again. You cannot be a Christian and be a pessimist. To believe in Christ is to be hopeful. Peter states this plainly, again, to a persecuted people in the opening line of his first letter. What's his first word? He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He's, again, this is coded language here, but those of us in the know, we get it. He's talking about baptism. In baptism... When we die to self and are made alive in Christ, we're given a living hope. 
and we look at the world differently because we are resurrection people. And Jesus has overcome all the powers of sin and death. And so go and live as if this is true. Too many Christians are still living as if Jesus never came to earth, died on a cross, and was resurrected. They're living as if sin and death have not been conquered. But they have. Do we believe what we read in the Bible? Are we putting our faith in a resurrected Savior and all that that means? If so, we should be living in a way that is perplexing to those around us. We are hopeful in the midst of bad news. We're hopeful even when the economy turns south. We're hopeful when gas prices rise. We're hopeful in the midst of a pandemic. We're hopeful even though the the person in office is not the one we voted for. And this is not because we're somehow out of touch with reality. We're very much in touch with reality. It's because our hope is not in worldly things. Our hope is in Jesus. And we have a living hope that cannot be taken from us. Jesus is our balm and Gilead. He heals our souls. He is our light in the darkness. And so we need to learn how to be hopeful and remain faithful from the people who who wrote and sung the spirituals. If an enslaved people can sing Balm and Gilead in the midst of suffering, pain, and injustice, we should be able to be hopeful in the times that we live in today. And we must carry the torch forward. We must not give up. We must keep pressing on until we reach our goal, that goal that Paul speaks of in Philippians. And we not only do this for ourselves, we do it for our children and our grandchildren. We do it for the next generation because they're watching. And what are they seeing? Do they see a people who are afraid? Do they see a people who are angry and upset? Or do they see a people who are filled with hope? A people who persevere no matter what the circumstances are. A people who remain faithful and do what is right even when it's difficult. We do not get to choose the times in which we live. We only get to choose how we're going to respond to the circumstances that we find ourselves in. What are we to do in times like these? We're to follow Jesus. We're to follow him when it's easy and we're to follow him when it's difficult. We are to do as he did. We're to do right when everyone else is doing wrong. We're to do right even when it does not benefit us. We're to walk in his footsteps. We're not to give up or to despair. 
We may only be able to take one step at a time. But at least that one step is a step in the right direction. And we keep following Jesus, resting assured that we are under his care. And that's all that matters. And so when we begin to struggle or get discouraged, and we all do, we all do. We must never forget that we have a bomb in Gilead that's able to make us whole. And the healing that we need for ourselves and the healing that we need for the the problems that we face in our world, the problems that we know well, is not found anywhere except in Jesus. And why would we look anywhere else? We need Jesus. And if we're not hopeful or we're not satisfied or we're angry and upset or we're not content... We need Jesus because he is able to heal the sin-sick soul. And if we're not living as Jesus' people, we may need to remember the words of another spiritual. Jesus in the morning. Jesus in the noontime. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus when the sun goes down. Praise him in the morning. Praise him in the noontime. Praise him, praise him, praise him when the sun goes down. Serve him in the morning. Serve him in the noontime. Serve him, serve him, serve him when the sun goes down. Those who sung this song and those who sung Bomb and Gilead and others like it, they did exactly this and they overcame. They kept their focus on Jesus. The problem we face today is that we no longer sing in the morning, sing in the noontime, or sing when the sun goes down. We turn the TV on in the morning and turn the TV on at noontime and turn the TV on when the sun goes down, or we check Facebook in the morning and check Facebook at noontime and check Facebook when the sun goes down. And we've just ordered our lives around something that's other than Jesus. And then we sit around wondering why we're unsatisfied all the time. Much of what we see on TV and social media will make us fearful, hateful, or worried. One of those three. And none of those are good for the soul. What is good for the soul is Jesus. And so again, we learn that the authors of the spirituals had wisdom beyond their education. They had wisdom from above. And perhaps we should humble ourselves and learn from them and accept their guidance. We should be grateful for those who came before us and faced great adversity, and yet they overcame. They did not falter when they were persecuted. They did not despair when they, were, when they suffered and were ridiculed. They looked to Jesus, their balm and Gilead, and they pressed on. And if they were able to do it in the times they lived with the troubles that they face, certainly we can do it today. We have a balm and Gilead. Will we look to him? 
Will we embrace him? Will we go to him when our hearts are troubled? Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning and we thank you for the encouragement of another spiritual. And we're amazed at your wisdom. We're amazed at how you work, not only through your word, but through others throughout history. And how you are always with your people. And we thank you for your presence. We thank you for your comfort and we thank you for your wisdom. May we learn from these spirituals, these spirit-filled songs. And may we go out and live in such a way that surprises the people around us. May we be a light in the darkness. May people see Jesus in us. May they see our hope in a hopeless world. We pray this through Jesus, who gives us a living hope because he was raised from the grave. It's in his name we pray. Amen.